Growing up, you and your buddies were always on the same page. Thursday was pickup basketball night. Saturday was an Xbox gaming binge, but then the buddies started falling off one by one. So what if they all have that ring on their finger and you're the only single bachelor left? You've got your own bling. And this one doesn't come with any commitment, just a few really good moments of chill bliss. Why the sheets not go for the gold? For a limited time at Sheets, get your hands on a $3.99 milkshake like the Toffrees. Made with Hershey's Heath Bars. Unwind with golden ribbons of buttery caramel and a heaping scoop of whipped cream. And don't forget, you can save $1 when you order on the app. At Sheets, there are endless options when it comes to delicious drinks. Coffee house style cold brews, hot coffees, lattes, shakes, refreshers, and so much more. Everything is customizable so you always get exactly what you want. And when we say always, we mean 24-7, 365. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 1875 podcast. I'm your host Tom Schofield and as ever I'm joined by Alex Lomax and Oliver Howarth. Before we get started, I want to thank you all for your support on the last podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow, follow us on Twitter, RobesChat underscore, so you don't miss any of the content we produce. On today's episode, we're going to speak about summer and just what it means for an ever-evolving Rovers side. It feels like we say it every season, but as things stand, there's going to be a huge rebuild at Ewood Park. And after today's news, it's going to be all the more difficult. So obviously, we're recording on Wednesday, and the news has come out that Stuart Harvey is set to leave the club to join Sunderland. Obviously, he's played a big part in Rose recruitment. So I think we're going to jump straight into it, talking about Stuart Harvey um, and just what it means means um, for Blackburn that we've lost a head of recruitment to a team that's in League One. Um, it was announced on Twitter today um, from various news outlets, including Rovers journalist Jacob Crook, that he would be leaving. Um, Alex, like I said, jumped straight into it and come to you first with it. It's that big word recruitment. Um, Morbury spoke a lot about it in the group at Rovers Chat. We've had lots of different opinions on how successful it's been um, and how big of a blow it's actually been going to be to lose uh, Stuart Harvey. For you, at this stage in the season, when we're talking about a summer rebuild potentially, and this podcast evolved, has evolved because of the news, how big of a blow is it that Stuart Harvey has gone when there is a huge job at Rovers if people mm. leave because they're out of contracts and we do have to recruit new players? That's got to throw your plans up in the air because you lost your main source of, of recruitment essentially. I think the honest answer to the question is I don't really think many Rovers fans know the extent to which it would impact on our plans because I think Rovers are quite secretive about the roles that each member of staff plays within the club and roles that who has the final decisions on certain things and who doesn't have the final decisions. Um, I think what I would say about it is that I don't think the optics are very good. I think that I think that's the first thing I would say that you know we've had a pretty bad 2021 so far with the results on the pitch and we'll go on to talk about this I know we will but obviously the number of players out of contract and then you add into that the uncertainty around other players maybe leaving who are under contract and the financial constraints of the pandemic and then you say well what are the plans for this summer and to see what can only be described as probably a key member of staff in the recruitment side of the club leaving to go to a League One side doesn't board well for me, I have to say. Um, I think I've said that I've never been 100% behind Marbury, but what I have said is that he's put structures on in place off the pitch. And I think this kind of puts a dent in that a little bit, that maybe it was more fragile than 
we thought. Maybe it isn't as sure as, as we all thought. So, yeah, that's another thing I wanted to point out. But I think the big thing for me is that do we really know what this guy's role actually was? I know that we'd heard from Marbury himself in the horse's mouth that he was involved in Tyree Stoll and joining the club when he watched a youth team game against Preston uh, and was involved at that level as well. So I think it's safe to say that he did have some key involvement in what we were doing recruitment-wise. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a very interesting development. What I would say is that this is the reason that clubs should plan ahead, that you know clubs that are, do their due diligence on players and on signings and plan ahead will have already mapped out the summer window, you know, the day the last summer window closed last season. And if we haven't done that, then does that show that in actual fact we've not actually made that much progress off the field? That you know, you look at the clubs we're trying to compete against, and you've got the group the group of parachute clubs which we'll never be able to compete with on a financial level with both wages and transfer fees. But then you also have the other group of clubs which have never played premiership football but view themselves as more forward-thinking clubs that try and make gains on the system by being better at doing the tasks of a football club better than anybody else. And, you know, that Brentford would fall into that category, wouldn't they? And I just think that Rovers have pitched themselves as trying to join that group of clubs in the last kind of 12, 18 months, kind of drag ourselves out of the 1980s and into the 21st century. And I just have a feeling that this today has shown that in actual fact we're maybe not much different than we always were. I don't know if that's the correct take on it. I don't think I fall into either camp of saying, oh, it's a disaster or it won't make any difference. I think people are so entrenched in their tribes now about whether things are good or bad around the club. You know, you form your opinion on Venkis, so everything's bad, or you think Venkis are plowing the money in, so it's all good. I think the reality is it's probably a mixture of the two, that there will obviously be a new guy come in, or a woman, whoever it is, I don't know, and they'll have their own opinions on things. I think the biggest thing for me is what is this actual role within the club and what power do they have? Because if they don't really have much power anyway, if the manager has a if the manager has a veto on all of the recruitment decisions, then does that mean that the position's redundant anyway? I don't know. I don't know the behind the scenes aspects of the club. So yeah. And and I don't think the club will reveal that. I think it's something the club tries to keep private and that's the that's their right. So I think that's really where I stand on all of it, to be honest. I think that's my kind of overall view on the topic. Some rumours are to believe it is almost made mute. The point is gone, isn't it? Um, if I understand what you're alluding to there, Alex. Um, Ollie, Alex mentioned something quite important, actually, that obviously losing someone around this time may mean there is no forward planning. If that forward planning has been done, is it a worry then that we're losing someone to a club that could be a championship rival next season and he has an idea of what Rover's summer plans are? Um, they could be working on a similar budget. Sunderland could very well work on a bigger budget than us next season if they are in the championship, if they manage to get promoted at the third time of asking. Is that is that aspect of it worrying that you've now got someone going to a club who perhaps knows what Rovers are willing to accept for certain players, perhaps knows what buttons of Rovers to press, and then could also say, well, Blackburn looking at this player and we know we can get him for this. So if we go a little bit higher, because I know Blackburn haven't got the money, we can do it. It's worrying, isn't it? Like At the moment, Sunderland aren't in the Championship, so... Maybe mute again. They could stay down another season, and at that point, we are the more attractive prospect. But if they're in the same league as us, there's not that much of a difference, really. Apart from the fact Sunderland can probably afford more money. Is that a worrying aspect? I don't. I think with lots of things like this, I think um, when it comes to Blackburn and sort of things changing behind the scenes, it there's still a fragility in the fan base that 
we kind of like to speculate and wonder what does it mean and it, it often veers towards the negative but in the reality in like any industry people move jobs and you know people move jobs probably more in football than in lots of other industries so we don't know the kind of ins and outs and the why I think it's only one relationship with one club um from a it, like it is only Sunderland there are no kind of great ties between the two clubs you know we've sold Danny Graham to them um and then he's subsequently retired but if any you could you could completely spin that and say you could view it as a positive that there's you don't know the nature of why he's going or and the terms etc that it it could prove beneficial because you you've got a link into another football club um but likewise as you say it could also be the reverse where you know we lose out on a player because Sunderland have been promoted because yeah of insider knowledge but again you're talking it's you know it's not it's just one of you know of all the football league clubs it's just one um I mean I'm paraphrasing from the Lancashire Telegraph but it's from a kind of what does it mean and thinking about the summer I think it's Glyn Chamberlain is the head of European scouting and works very closely with Mark Venus so when you're thinking of things like signing a Thomas Kaminsky I don't think he you know this guy that's yeah Harvey doesn't that doesn't sound like his domain I think the all of our work in Europe somebody else has been responsible for that the I don't know what he was doing at the club, like Alex says, but um, if he was if he was pivotal in terms of some of our relationships with Premier League clubs, that would concern me. Um, the club have said today that there's a very short window for this recruitment. I think they're only holding applications open for two weeks because they're expecting a very high level of demand. Um, yes, somebody's gone that seems to be highly valued in term in their domain um but equally it's an attractive job to anyone put put us as fans to one side it's a good job in a good football club to you know to earn a good wage so we won't be short of decent people that want to do the role um but yeah i mean really understanding what he was doing day to day would that would make you whether you it's something you would then worry about or not um and that would be my only thing that but just because someone leaves it doesn't mean that all completely erodes you know that he wasn't doing everything by himself um and i believe he was there to specifically work closely with mowbray and with our analytics team and nobody else has left it's just one person um but yeah i mean we'll see what happens really um I think if Sunderland don't get promoted, I'm not sure how good a move it turns out to be um, for him. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I know you're going to go on to ask, but yeah, I think it's, if they were to get promoted, then yeah, then it's kind of, that changes things a little bit in terms of the optics of how it all looks. But if they remain in League One um, and recent history would say they've struggled quite a lot, to get back out of that division so um it's quite a big if um but yeah i think your status in the football league hierarchy kind of trumps a lot of things if we're still in the championship and have recruited someone to replace him and he's in league one um all budgets to one side league one is league one and the championship is the championship um it's a different caliber of player um it's a different wage structure give or take um but we'll see. Again, even if they did get promoted, I'm, I'm not necessarily wouldn't necessarily be worried because I'm not sure what to be worried about. Um, but yeah, and it, yeah, it's hard because we're sort of speculating, really. Um, but I know it's it's been big news today, and it will cause a lot of speculation amongst the fan base, and that's only natural. So, um, but we can only offer our opinion, I guess, really. Well, his, his official role at the club was head of club talent identification and player analysis. So you're right in saying that he obviously worked close, close with the analytics department. Um, Alex, Ollie mentioned before that football generally, people move jobs a lot. So players go from club to club. You've got managers who go from club to club. It's not like in 
your everyday job, you're not going to get poached regularly. Of course, it happens. But as a rule, you tend to be at one place until you decide that you want to leave. It's not as if someone's going to look and think, you know, he's fantastic at typing numbers into a computer. So we really need that person on our team. It's not like that, is it? You haven't got that same level of job change. Are we looking too much into this? I'm not going to speak more about it, but just as, just as a question now, are we almost looking too much into it? Because like Ollie said, people move clubs all the time. And like Ollie said, in terms of the European scouting network, that's not particularly been his go-to thing. You mentioned Tyrese Dolan. Other than that, I don't know of anyone that he's really brought in. So are we just thinking too much into it? Are we trying to find the worst in something because so much is spoke about recruitment and so much is spoke about analysis these days that it's like the end of the world? But in actual fact, like Ollie says, football moves on, we move on, someone will fill his shoes and be just as good. I think it's a little bit of confirmation bias and I think I'm guilty of this as well that if we'd have won 10 out of the last 12 games, would I really be bothered about this? Probably not. Because we've won one out of the last 12, am I bothered? Yeah, a little bit. I think that's probably the real answer to the question. Um, And so I think when things aren't going well on the pitch, you try and justify that by saying, well, what are the reasons for that? Is there something going wrong off the pitch in the background? So then you say, well, oh, suddenly someone's left and you think, oh, well, that that's that confirmation of that conspiracy theory. So I think, in all honesty, I can't tell you whether it will affect the club positively or negatively in the long term because I don't know enough about the guy or his role at the club. What I would say is that I know just from you know reading the work that Andy and Joe do for the for the channel and the website that you know analytics now in football has just become a massive part of the game. It's becoming bigger and bigger, um, and more and more people want to get involved in that kind of field. And the roles and the and the job, you know, the jobs and the openings and the vacancies for those types of roles are becoming more and more sought after. Um, so I can't see Rovers being short of applicants, as Ollie said. So let's just see on this, I think my final point would be, I completely agree with Ollie's point that people move clubs all the time. That's very true. Um, you know, but good players move clubs as well and we don't want that to happen. You know, just because someone's left doesn't mean it's necessarily a good thing or just, you know, like the tide going in and out, you know, it happens naturally. Um, you know, some good players do leave, you know, when we don't want them to leave and there can be reasons for that. So, yeah, not automatically saying it's good, not automatically saying it's bad. But, yeah, what I would say is that we need to see who comes in as a replacement. And if we get a decent replacement in and we see them working well with the manager and the coaching staff, then I don't really see a problem long-term for the club. Mm, definitely. And whilst you were talking, it looks like we lost Ollie. Um, so what's fantastic about um, that is that the graphics all messed up. So if you are watching on YouTube, you are currently seeing a graphic that doesn't really make much sense. Of course, if you listen to other things such as Spotify, um, it doesn't really matter because you don't see our faces anywhere. Um, and I don't blame you. Alex, I'm going to ask you another question then, really. And it's 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 about regards to the plans for summer. Does it push us back? Just does, does it push us back maybe a couple of months? Because you're bringing a new player in, like Ollie said, it's not going to be short of applicants. You're going to bring someone else in. They might not have the same opinions as Stuart Harvey. So whilst he might not be working on the European Scouting Network, he may well be working on looking at players from League One and League Two clubs. That seems to have been, in the past at least, something that we've dipped into quite a lot, that sort of market. Other people might not be like that. So is it almost the plan that's gone in could be obsolete or do you have to look at it and think, well, no, because the planning's there and the person that's come in, some of their job's going to be done for them so they will be using those plans or it's in the case of scraps, I'm new, I'm going to put my own stamp on this. 
I don't think anyone at the club has that much power over recruitment, if I'm being honest with you. I don't think it goes down to one person to throw the plans out the window. What I would say about our recruitment and our being two months behind, etc., I think the biggest problem that Rovers have got is the way the club is run inherently, the way Venkis want it to be run. And that's not going to change as long as they're owners of the football club and as long as they continue to put money in. You know, the way the club is run is that at the end of the season, you know, they take stock of where the club finishes in the league table. And then the manager and the chief exec fly out to India and discuss the budget for next season. And that's the way that it's always happened at this club since Venkis have been in charge. And I can't really see that changing anytime soon. So ultimately, I think the club is left in a little bit of a limbo where we don't know whether we're recruiting from a list of free transfers and people out of contract, whether we're just going for loan players, whether we've got, you know, half a million players that we're going for or two million pound players. All these things are never really confirmed until the manager and the chief exec land back at Manchester Airport at the end of May. And by then, a lot of agreements have already been made behind closed doors because, you know, football is like that. So... I think that, for me, is where the club falls down mostly, is not knowing the budget, confirmation of the budget early enough to plan ahead in the February and March of the previous season to then act on that early in the summer to then make your recruitment decisions. So I think that's where, in my opinion, the biggest fault of Rovers is, in all honesty. Sorry. No, definitely. We've managed to get Ollie back. He's, he's here apologising, so it's fine. Um, I've moved. So, I've moved location for better. Well, it's, it's one of them. That's the, the brilliant thing about podcasts is that it's not embarrassed live. You're just embarrassed um, after the fact when we don't edit this and it goes out um, as a nice, clean copy just to embarrass you. Um, but Ollie is back to those I said, like this on Spotify and iTunes. Um you still don't get to see his ugly mug, but those on YouTube, you all do. So um, enjoy us, our three faces, as we continue to talk about Stuart Harvey. Um, Ollie, when you were gone, Alex was speaking about how not no one man has the power to throw out the plans. So you spoke a lot about how it's not going to be, it's not going to be that there's not going to be many applicants for the role that he's leaving behind. And Alex said that he's that one man's not going to come in and have the power to throw away all his work. Because the question was, does it sort of set you back because someone's going to want to come in and put their own stamp on it? I'm actually question now as to why Stuart Harvey did leave. And you've already sort of answered it. But I'm going to ask it anyway because I want to sort of get a discussion going. So Alex, I'm going to bring you in as well at some point. But are Sunderland... And just forget about the league for two seconds. Are some of the more attractive prospects to any coach, manager, in this case, um, recruitment guy, are they more attractive prospect than us? Because the scope is, and people don't like me saying this because 1995 happened and we spent a lot of time in the Premier League, South Sunderland, and they're a huge club. They consistently sold out in the Premier League. We didn't do that. They have a huge fan base. The scope for them isn't that different to a club like Newcastle. That's just a fact. Are they a more attractive prospect than us as a club for someone who wants to go and and perhaps prove themselves? Um. You could theoretically make a case for it. I think, why did he go? And this, we can only speculate, but I know that I was having a look today. Um, They've just announced, I think yesterday or today, they've announced a head of data analytics, which I don't think we have, I could be completely wrong, but it, there's a definite intention of, there's a head of data analytics and he is going in as yeah his kind of head of whatever it's going to be kind of recruitment and talent or whatever his actual role is going to be at Sunderland and I suspect you could argue that 
just looking at those two roles that you've got two heads of that he was very much working to Mowbray and whatever the structure was behind the scenes and that maybe he was wanting a role where he maybe has a bit more autonomy in terms of what he's doing and also that there is a head of analytics that he works in parallel with um, and that it's a more it's a more effective setup if in that realm um they've obviously got their new owner Kyril I forget his surname um that the young guy I suspect he's well you know was it when what was the guy before Stuart I forget I'm not too sure is he um no it was Stuart Gray and I saw him in the documentary yeah, um, he was very ambitious when he came into the club, um, having watched Sunderland Till I Die. Um, I've no doubt that Kyra himself has come in and has grand plans over the next, you know, year promotion, a five, you know, a three-year plan, a five-year plan. I'm sure, you know, our owners when they came in had a very ambitious plan that was laughed at. Um, and yeah, look where we ended up. <laughs> um, but no, that's all of those things are obvious. And do Sunderland have a forty-five thousand seat stadium that, if they're winning matches, can actually get very near to capacity week in week out and a good base of season ticket holders? Yes, they do. It has dwindled when they've been on harsh times. They've you know they've had a, a very bad time of things. Just not like more than us had. though. It's it's not as if if. Theirs has dwindled, and other clubs in their position have them. I mean, we lost ten thousand fans more than that since yeah. relegation. We were getting what on average twenty five thousand fans before Keane took over. But like now, you know, we get about thirteen, including yeah. the ways. But you know, I think I don't know whatever your opinions are of Lee Johnson. He he seemed like a relatively good manager in the championship and he seems to be doing a very good job in league one. Um, He's probably the best manager they've had in terms of trying to get out of that division and he's winning matches. So, but if they don't get out of league one this season, I don't, I wouldn't view it as a more attractive proposition because you're dealing with, doesn't matter how much money Kyrell has in whatever his business is, he will be limited by financial fair play and League One players are League One players. You're not, doesn't, you know, he's not going to be signing X, Y, Z from other, you know, Premier League clubs or championship clubs. You're going to be dealing with players that are effective at operating at that level. Um, So maybe he, maybe he's being paid more, um, that's certainly a possibility and people often leave certainly money talks quite a lot in football. Um, if he's had a pay bump, a bit more autonomy, a bit more seniority, there's a head of analytics. Sunderland is a bigger club on paper. Um, but I've got to question then you said, you said when you were talking before and Alex, I'm throw this bit to you. Ollie said that, it's an attractive prospect because they've obviously got these new owners, which not something that Rhodes can just do, but they've got in this new system of recruitment, this head of analytics, heading, and that that is attractive to him. If that is so attractive, and again, I'm completely playing devil's advocate here, but if that is so attractive, why aren't Rhodes implementing something similar? If that is such an attractive thing, and I know Rose of the European Scouting Network, I know that that's someone completely separate, but why are we not implementing something similar if it's such an attractive thing to someone who has the credentials that Stuart Harvey has? Whether we want to say he's good or bad, no matter what your opinion is, Jacob Crook said that it wasn't it was a it was a blow for Rovers, which means that clearly his stock is relatively high, or else it would be a nothing story. Like I say, bias comes in there, it does, because we're doing rubbish at the moment. Fact remains, why are we not bringing in these things as well if these are seen as good things for clubs in League One? I accept that point. I think it's a very good point and it's very well made. I think... I don't think with recruitment as well, I don't think there is 
a gold standard model to be followed. I think you can speak to all different clubs that get the recruitment right, and I think they would probably all tell you that their way of operating works in a slightly different way. I think if you went to Brentford and said, well, you know, how does your structure work off the pitch? They'd probably give you a completely different answer to say, how does Leeds structure work off the pitch? Or I, I think it's... You've got to tailor what you do to the circumstances of your individual club. And I think when your owners are very interested in the re- in the recruitment side of the business and the analytics side of the business, and it's almost their own business as well, they're much more likely to be receptive to new ideas and new ways of working. I think it's much more of a budding thing at Rovers where it's much newer, much um, where I think we're probably still trying to bridge the gap between the old style scouting department that we probably always had and this new recruitment department that Marbury's kind of eulogised about for so long. So I think I think at the heart of the question is is Sunderland a bigger pull than Rovers at the minute in terms of the size of the club and I would say that I don't really know how you define size of club. You know, is it the size of the stadium? Is it the quality of the training ground? Is it the number of trophies that they've won in the last 200 years? Is it the number of fans they get? I don't know. That's for someone else to define. Um, I don't think it's that obvious. What I would say is that, as Ollie alluded to, I think people forget how big a step up it is into the championship from League One. You know, Rovers and Wigan got nearly 200 points between them. That season we got promoted and I think both of us were pretty rock solid in the bottom half the following season you know it's very very rare these days that a club goes from league one through the championship which you saw you know 10 years or so ago it was happening on a almost regular basis so yeah maybe it is the pull of the of the new owner who I think Ollie said, I don't know what his business is. I think his business was a billion pound inheritance, which is a pretty good business to have. Um, I wouldn't mind it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that either. Um, So I think at the heart of it is it's probably, we're probably reading slightly too much into it. I'm probably guilty of that as well, of being one of the more negative fans. Um, But yeah, I think there's probably things gone on behind the scenes that we're not privy to and that we can't confirm or deny and therefore I think it's probably best that we steer away from that before we you know make any allegations that don't have any factual basis or proof so I think I'll probably no, I, it. I think you're right but I just think it's an interesting discussion that there's always talk and it has been big today on Twitter and I've never known it to be so big I think the reason, when I say so big, I mean in terms of the random member of staff leading, I don't think that's really ever happened before where anyone's particularly cared. Um, you've got to look at that and think, is it because Mowbray speaks a lot about recruitment? And there is going to be recruitment to do in um, summer. And, of course, there's recruitment every single summer for every club. But for always, because like every summer's a rebuild, as I alluded to, at the start, there's a lot of contract negotiations to sort out. Um, people are saying there aren't. There are. You extend the you extend the Rothwell and the Ambi contracts. And I think Ren Costello's maybe also got an option. You have the you trigger those three options. You are hold off for another year. You're going to be in the exact same spot in one year's time. Get him signed to a new contract rather than triggering an extension. Um, these players leave. That only further shows how much recruitment's needed. Um, and of course, there's one man that's probably going to be leaving us, um, and that man's Adam Armstrong. Of course, we've relied on that man to score most of our goals in the last 18 months. Um, of course, Dak was expected to pick up some of that slack, but after a second ACL injury, we likely won't see him until early 2022. Now, recruitment-wise, guys, moving away from it, there's two players that perhaps need to pick up some more of that slack. Sam Gallagher and Ben Bruton. So before we talk about the recruitment and move back on to that, when Adam Armstrong does inevitably leave, 
do these two players need to start doing more? Just because Ben Brady's had a better season this season than he has done last season doesn't mean he's been really good goal scoring wise. Same with Sam Gallagher. Just because he's had a slightly better season this season than he had last season doesn't mean he's done well enough. I'll then throw it to you straight away. Do them two players in particular, and I'm a big fan of Ben Brayton, by the way, big fan, but he's not scoring enough goals. Do they need to do more in this Rovers side to say, hold off, losing Adam Armstrong isn't going to be that big of a deal? Because don't worry, I'm here. They do, but it, I mean, we could tie ourselves in knots talking about kind of systems and how we play and. I don't think either have demonstrated a natural ability to score goals um, since they've been at the club. I mean, so Gallagher why spend a combined twelve million pounds on them as strikers. <laughs> Maybe that's why Stuart Harvey's leaving. Maybe Stuart Harvey's the reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, it's true. It's it's why we spend, um, it's, you you buy them as strikers. We can talk all about playing them in whatever position and yeah more brilliant players in that position but they were bought as strikers both of them were bought as replacements with Danny Graham I just think I don't know for a fact fairly confident though why spend got, 12 million when Gallagher was on loan the season he was on loan um, and he was he, he generally played on the right ring what did he scored maybe like 8 or 9 I think Few but it more, I think he had, he had a good season I think he's played central a lot for Owen Coyle but moved out wide more and more break came in but he was never, even then, he wasn't prolific. He's had a fairly unremarkable time in and around Southampton. Um, I think he scored maybe like the odd goal in a cup, maybe. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, occasionally he scored a couple of goals this season where he's, you know, I think it was like the equaliser at Luton and the winner again, you know, setting up Armstrong and... The head of the other day, like the little moments where you think, okay, that's kind of a striker in and around the penalty spot, the six yard box. That's where a central striker who's got some height you'd want them to be. Um, Brereton's still a bit of an unknown. I think he's got, he's still very, very young. I, you know, I think he's extremely effective with where he's played on the left of a three. Um, but when Armstrong played on the left of a three, he scored lots of goals. Brereton has scored a few goals, um, not a lot of goals. Um, so they do need to do more, but then I think you'd, let's say Armstrong has gone and you've got those two guys and you're trying to decide what to do and Dak's not back until January, so you've got half a season without him. Um, if not more. Yeah, if not more. You've got if they're going to score more goals, they need to be in the box, and there has to be a system built around them that gets them the right kind of chances for what that attribute suits. I think the things that worry me sometimes are, and this is getting very pernickety, but I've seen it. There's been a couple of games recently where, like a Danny Graham that is a natural finisher, is all is always anticipating the defender making a mistake or you know, the goalkeeper parrying it and being the first one there. And we've had little moments where someone's had a shot or some a ball's gone into the box and there's still two players that are on their heels because they haven't got, they're not that goal scorer. I'm going to assume that the defender's going to miss that. So I'm going to get a tap in or I'm, you know, Rothwell's going to shoot and I'm going to gamble that the keeper's going to parry it and I'll be the first to tap it in. They don't, they're not that type of goal scorer yet um can they Brereton, be though i'd probably say brereton maybe because he's very young into his career and we've not played him for 20 games down the middle at all the only um, way that you're going to learn to do that as a central striker if you played yeah gallagher no, gallagher i'm not sure um i you know you can envisage a season where you've got Pickering and Rankin Costello and we're very much putting crosses into the box a lot more than we do now and you think give him you know give him four or five opportunities to head a goal every game and see how many goals Gallagher scores maybe maybe he starts to become a bit more prolific but again 
you're then adjusting an entire system to a striker that I don't rate particularly highly. I'd rather, I, you know, I wouldn't want to structure our attack around. We have to get the ball wide and cross the ball into the box because it's not, it's not Gested or Rhodes or an Alan Shearer or Santa Cruz heading contract. the heading the ball in. It's Sam Gallagher. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It's, it's so it's difficult. sort of, and then so it's it's hard. I'd rather you'd rather get structure the attack if Armstrong's gone. Sort of systematically how we've been playing. Yeah, I think if Mowbray's our manager, he will continue to evolve that system. So you need forwards that fit into that system. And even with Dakin Armstrong not playing, he's you know he decided to play Brereton and Gallagher wide and Dolan down the middle, which looked like a total curveball, but it it was relatively effective. Well, I don't. Fair, it's yeah, not, Dolan played well, but it doesn't. I mean, could the two of you sit there and think that that's you could see us playing forty-six games starting like that? It doesn't. Doesn't well, seem to be, it doesn't do seem it. to be it's... something you would do every single, you know, week in, week out. Um, that it, that would seem odd to sort of. That's how you're structuring our goal scoring for the for next season. Um, I, I don't think it would happen, um, Alex. No. You, do you envisage a scenario where Armstrong isn't sold in the summer, or is he definitely gone? I think the only way that Armstrong doesn't leave in the summer is if that Rovers are deluded about the price they're willing to get for him, I think. Well, it's just fair with a year left on his contract. Very man, 40% goes to Newcastle. Exactly. And and that's the problem that we're left with, that Rovers need to maximise the money that comes into the, into the bank account, but it also can't be left with nothing either, which can happen if you're being a bit too greedy. So... I would probably say that anything between 15 and 20 million would be an exceptionally good deal at the moment. You know, I I sort of insulted Ryan a little bit, who runs the live streams about 10 million pounds. But I think when you look at the fact that he hasn't exactly been prolific since Christmas and the fact that he only has one year left on his contract means that Rovers aren't in a very good bargaining position when it comes to demanding certain fees for players. The one thing I would say, which is a slight little curveball, that if Venkis, and we've seen this historically with any player that is going to be sold, if Venkis set a valuation on a player and that valuation is not met, then kicking and screaming from a player or an agent will make them change their mind. You know, the you know, Rovers fans in their thousands have protested with banners and flares at Ewood, and it's not made a difference. And equally, when agents and players kick up a fuss about not being able to leave, that doesn't make a difference either. Once they are set on a player's valuation, they will not budge on that. So my big question is, what do the Venkis value Armstrong at? If they value him at 15 million quid, then I can see him getting sold. But if they value him at 25... I think we'll probably end up losing him for nothing next summer. So, or why would you risk that? I agree. Why? Why would you risk even if forty percent goes to Newcastle? Why would you risk losing, say, twelve million, eight million pound, twelve to million pound revenue just I because you're being a bit awkward? I completely agree with that, Tom, and I think that's one of the problems that we have at Rovers that we don't actually know what the people who make these decisions are actually thinking. Uh, and how they actually come to the decisions that they that they make. Um, what I would say about Armstrong is the sooner he's sold, the better. Because Hans, I've been twenty twenty. Ollie, should we have sold Armstrong in the summer? In, in January, sorry. Bear in mind, at the time we were on a winning run, close to playoffs. If it had been sold, there'd have been hell with the fans. But hindsight being twenty twenty is what I'm asking you. He'd come off the back of a very good run of scoring. Probably could have got more money for him than what we'd get in the summer. Like I said, this is hindsight being 2020, knowing what's happened since then with him in the squad. But there. Like I said, it's impossible because in January we all thought we were going to get. Yeah, you know, if there was any reality to 
you know, if if it's true that West Ham said, can we buy Adam Armstrong his 18 million pounds or 20, whatever it was, and we went, no, it needs to be 25 million because Ollie Watkins cost Villa this. And they went, that's too much. A, it is too much. And B, we don't know whether it actually happened or not. And were Brighton genuinely interested or not? I don't know. Um, the Rovers always said that there was no no concrete, genuine no. concrete offer in for an option. There was, was rumours and rumblings. If you sell, if let's say West Ham had slapped 20 million on the table and said, come on then. And then I don't think we could have sold him with Dak unfit and not been using some of that. I think part of it would have been we need there has to be a replacement for the rest of the season if we're serious about the playoffs. And then, I don't know, we're buying a Jerry Yates or a Johnson Clark Harris, but we're getting Blackpool and Peterborough saying, well, right, you've just got a load of dosh. Yeah, you can have them, but it's mid-season. They're banging in goals for us. So you've got to pay through the nose. Um, So it's kind of... If it's sold him in January, maybe you get a better deal because you forced the issue at a, you know, a pivotal point when he scored a lot of goals and his currency is high. But then I don't, I just don't think we could have sold him and gone, right, that's, everyone's going to be really happy because we've, you know, Newcastle have got X million and we've banked this million. And then the people will go, well, hang on a sec, Tony, we're trying to get promoted here. What you've just sold our well, top scorer. It, it's true, like I said, hands have been. But then but that's the thing, but then if you got a good deal for him and then we said, right, well we need we've just got to get let's jump on the Peterborough gravy train and get by one of their strikers. They seem very good at producing strikers. Um and we finally know, yeah, we right. finally dip in and go, right, we'll take Clark Harris, who's banging them in. And but they'll go, right, yeah, you can have him, but it's you know, five million quid because it's mid season. Whatever it, what you know, whatever the money is, because they've got you over a barrel. I did. So the point of re- reinvesting the funds that you've got. I know, I know that it's easier said than done, but it, obviously, if you've got more money to spend, teams are going to charge you more. Yeah. But you need to reinvest. If that's still five million, but there's still another five million pot of Adam Armstrong yeah, money. Yeah, sure. Because sure. there's no way that Peterborough are going to sit there and say, right, you've got twenty-five million for Adam Armstrong. We want. 15, 20 million for Clark Harris. It's not going to happen because it's not worth it. No, he's not. He's not. But it's the kind of thing that's the kind of thing that happens. Like, I mean, they'd come up with sort of it would be a realistic number, but it would still be a high number because they'd want, you know. Oh, of course, they want to maximise their profits and they're aware that we need now need a striker. Like I said, it was a horrible question that I really shouldn't have asked you. It was quite nasty of me. No, no. Like I said, hindsight being twenty twenty, you maybe would say yes, but guarantee at the time, all three of us would have been in uproar had Rovers sort of Armstrong, given the fact we were only about two points off the playoffs. Um, to finish up, really, on today's episode, a bit of a short one, I think. I want to speak to you, Alex, just in this last bit, about whether or not history is repeating itself. Before we recorded and before Ollie joined the little lobby that we have, we were speaking about when Jordan Rhodes left the club and the following season we ended up being relegated. Danny Graham came in, scored 12 goals for the club that season on his first permanent season, I think it was, when we got relegated. You know Rhodes probably guaranteed you about 20 at the time, even if his powers were waning a little bit. Do you worry if we saw Adam Armstrong and failed to replace him adequately with a player that can replicate the goals he scores, the Rovers could be in a position where they end up fighting for relegation next season? An extra eight goals on Danny Graham's twelve from Danny Graham's twelve would have kept Rovers up. So you could make an argument. It's a bit of a not a very strong one, but you can make an argument saying that the sale of Jordan Rhodes that previous January, the January before. The new season, the next season, is what sent us down. I know it's a terrible, it's not, it's, 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 it's a paper thin argument. No one would actually believe it, but there's an argument potentially to be made. I think I understand the question, I understand the point, and I think it's 
very interesting. What I would say about Rhodes is I think he was one part of a bigger picture around players leaving and being replaced by inferior players. I think not only did you have Rhodes leave, but you had all of your others, your Grant Hanleys, your Shane Duffy's, and, and all, of the, all of the rest. You don't need me to go through the long list. And they were replaced by inferior players on free transfers and on, on loan players. And not only that, we didn't recruit well in the loan market. Our loan players were a disaster in comparison Chad to what Penn. we have. No, not Chad Penn, was Chad Byrne. <laughs> yeah, the less said about him, the better. Uh, so what I would say about that is that I think when Gary Boyer left the club that November, I think it was, and Paul Lambert joined, I don't think the club reduced in its league position from before Rhodes left to after Rhodes left. We were around mid-table, lower mid-table for the whole of that season, in all honesty. And I think when you look at it like that, did Rhodes leaving make a difference that season? What I do think made the real difference, and, I, and I, you'll know exactly what I'm going to say here, the the thing that made the, the difference was the appointment of Owen Coyle. As no, it was. I, I do agree. Like I said, it's a paper-thin argument. But it's a, it's what I'm saying is that it, I guess what the point I was making was it's not easy to replace 20 goals a season. It's not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, you know, we have to work out how we're going to do that, whether it is like you alluded to before whether it is planning on getting more out of Sam Gallagher or Ben Britton, but they haven't shown signs of delivering that yet, so can you hang your hat on that? What I would say is that if we sell Adam Armstrong and we do not attempt to recruit a replacement, I think we will either be in this position we're currently in now in the league table or worse next season. And that's my honest opinion, I think. Unless there's improvements made elsewhere within the team, I think we're in that situation now as a club where, as I just mentioned, you have the star striker leaving, but you also have all of the other things going on as well. The many solid championship pros that just trundle along every week, that keep you in mid-table, that you don't really write home about, that are kind of stardust in a, in a weak team. All of those players leave as well and you're left in a situation where you are battling relegation and you don't have the experience and the nerves to actually drag yourself out of the mess, I think what I would say is that the season we got relegated, we started to bring a lot of players through from the academy purely to plug the gaps left in the squad, just to spur bodies almost. And the worry that I have going into next season is due to the sheer number of players we have to lose that won't be here next season. And I know some people will say, oh, well, we don't want those players anyway. But it's a, body squad. it's a body in a squad yeah. that needs to be replaced by some... Corey Evans and Bradley Johnson leave. As much as people hate Corey Evans for, for the reasons, still need to replace his body in the squad. Like You still need to bring in a player that can then play in that centre. Because Corey Evans... Whatever your opinion is, he had squad depth. Bradley Johnson, out of contract, he had squad depth. So, yeah, so if you talk about losing, for example, Amari Bell, and you talk about losing Corey Evans, and you talk about losing Bradley Johnson, and talking about losing Lewis Holtby, and talking about losing Ryan Nyambe, and you talk about losing all of those players, even if you don't think they're particularly good players, they need to have a replacement. And whether that eats into the budget we will get from a sale of Armstrong, which then reduces the amount of money we have to replace Armstrong with a good player, or whether it's you plug the gaps with the academy. And what I would say about the academy is that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, it goes disastrously wrong because these young players come into this team in the championship. They lose the first four games of the season. They're low on confidence. And you never escape from the rut. You you never get out of the mess. And that's my fear for next season, that we start behind the eight ball, we plug the gaps with academy players, and those players lose confidence, and we never really recover the season. 
which is in, in many ways what happened under Ryan Coyle. We lost the first three or four games. And, and the, the recruitment that season was shocking. And the, one, the players we did bring in. I don't really think we ever left the bottom three for the whole season. You know, and so, that yeah, I think that's kind of my summary of the situation around the club and around Armstrong and around the players out of contract. You know, it's easy to say, I don't like this player, I don't like that player. But we have to go out and replace them with somebody, whether it's an academy player or whether it's a permanent player, we will need to replace them. And you add into that all of the lawn players that are going back that have played a big part this season as well. And do you hang your hat on getting the same quality of lawn signing that you get each season? So all these things are unknowns and we really won't know until next season kicks off, which is worrying in a way. You know, we, as a football fan, you do like to have that security about the team that you have that can say, well, even if we don't have a particularly good summer recruitment in the window, we'll be all right. We'll finish, you know, lower mid-table and we'll rebuild for next season. I genuinely think that this summer, as you alluded to at the start of the podcast, is so big in terms of the precedence of past rebuilds over previous summers that I just don't think we can do the whole job without making mistakes and without not doing a... You know, I think it's a, the a, summer rebuild that might determine whether or not we ever actually make it back to the Premier League, in my opinion. And I think that's when we go full circle back to that discussion about recruitment in terms of you know they're going to make mistakes and that's fine, but you've got to get the majority right. And I think you're spot on in saying that. But I think with that being said, I think that's probably a good place to end it. It is your lot. And I'd also like to thank you all for listening. Um, and a big thank you to both our sponsors, Six Yards Out and Blue Rose Capital. Your continued support doesn't go unnoticed. Um, it does mean the world. Um, and obviously, if the academy thing is the academy thing if the academy is your thing should i say my podcast co-host andy watson is in a brilliant series interviewing members of Brobs academy staff and it's that is well worth a listen honestly and is in a superb job and obviously that's like the club for, for giving us the access there listen to it because it is enlightening um it really is a good listen and gives a a nice insight into the life of um an academy uh, elsewhere, be sure to check out the live streams. You'll often see one of our ugly mugs on them. Um, the work Ryan and the lads do there is tremendous. It just adds another element to your match days. So there's the watch-alongs and then there's the pre- and post-match streams. Basically, it's just like three, four lads just chatting absolute rubbish about Rovers and basically making themselves feel a little bit better after we've lost. Um, and if you do tune into those uh, live streams during the match, the, the watch-alongs, you listen to some fascinating talk about biscuits, amongst other things. They're um, interesting, to say the least. Uh, Luke makes sure of that. Luke Kimberley definitely makes sure of that. Um, and finally, as I said at the start of the podcast, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our Twitter at RoseChat underscore. Oh, I use the old one. Obviously, there was the issue where we got told off for something we posted in 2017 for using about one second of a song. Um so it's not Rose underscore chat anymore. It's Rose chat underscore. Be sure to go follow it. We had hit 5,000 5, Twitter followers on the old account. Now, I think we're back down about 1,500, 2,000, I think. I'm not 100% sure. So please do go follow that. That'd be really appreciated because the work that's gone into it, the lads, everyone deserves credit. Um, and we'd really appreciate you heading on over and just hitting that follow button. Um, and then as well, if you do that, you won't miss the next podcast, you won't miss another live stream, or you won't miss a tier list, which has started, I think the most recent one, a goalkeeper one, I've not had a chance to watch it yet, but I've been told it's uh, quite the entertaining watch. Alex, were you on that? Were you on the goalkeeper tier list? I wasn't actually, no, I did kind of comment on uh, on Twitter that it was a combination of the Rovers Chat All Boys Club, Ollie Apart, um, so they kind of enjoyed that little jab uh, on Rovers Chat Twitter feed. But yeah, I wasn't involved in that, I'm afraid. Were you oh, you you weren't involved in that? No, no, but I've uh, I've watched it. It's a it's a good watch or a listen if you just want to listen, it's good. Uh certainly if you remember yeah, if you're if you're 
Rover's career goes back to Tim Flowers, Brad Friedel days, John Filan. It's a good, it's a really good listen. No, it, it certainly looks like, and I'm looking forward to catching it myself. It's it's something I would encourage you all to to watch as well because it just helps the channel, and it's just a bunch of Rovers fans that just really care about the club, really, and really care about bringing out good quality content for you all to watch. Um, but on that note, I do want to thank you again for listening. Thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.